What is up, guys? Happy Thursday. Welcome to the D&D Sports Show. And let, we have a lot to talk about, so we're going to get right down to the point. Starting this off at Tuesday Night Football. David, what did you think about it? Um, well, I noticed a lot of things. Um, I, I definitely um, did not anticipate the loss of Tredavious White to be quite as big of an impact on the field, but um, he's definitely a leader on that defense, um, as well as Matt Milano. I think that if these two teams played with completely healthy rosters, I think this game is completely different. Um, the offense and special teams definitely didn't help that defense out at all uh, with the muffed kick, as well as a few, uh, the, the drop on the opening drive that led to an interception. Um, it definitely was not the, the, the prettiest game by any means, but I mean, Derrick Henry only had 57 yards rushing. Um, obviously the two touchdowns hurt them in the end, but I mean, given them, they had the ball on, Buffalo's side for most of those drives it's just a sloppy game overall um I think I I think that with a fully healthy lineup with John Brown back with uh Matt Milano back Davis White back I think that this is a lot closer of a game um I also think that the fact that the game kept getting moved around I think hurt both teams it didn't only hope I think everybody just assumed that because they couldn't practice it would hurt Tennessee when in fact it really hurt the other team because you know you have your week-to-week rituals and everything like that that you do uh, to get ready for games. And I think that maybe, you know, come Sunday, they kind of slacked off a little bit, you know, or on that Monday where you're supposed to be watching film from Sunday. Uh, it could definitely have affected the Bills' performance. Um, Josh Allen definitely didn't look like himself. Um, but, I mean, he was missing his number two receiver. Um, so that's never easy. So, you know, he's trying to force the ball to digs a little bit more. Um, but – Overall, I mean, a dominant performance by the Titans. Um, you know, they kind of – everybody was kind of not even giving them a chance in this game. Um, unfortunately, the game-time decision to hold Tredavious wide out definitely hurt him because A.J. Brown um, kind of had his way with uh, Josh Norman. And, you know, it's, 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 never, it's never anything that you want to – you want to see, especially as a fan. But I, I just got to tip my hat to the Titans because they uh, – they dealt with adversity a little bit more than we did. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying on that uh, note. I mean, both quarterbacks looked very shaky and mediocre against these defenses. I mean, Tannehill went 21 for 28, which isn't bad, but only 195 yards with three touchdowns. So he was, a, he was efficient, but he just couldn't – he wasn't throwing long passes or getting the ball downfield. These were short – these were 10 to 20-yard passes consistently – and he was just basically picking apart the Bills' defense and secondary. Uh, the reemergence of A.J. Brown, which is good to see for not only himself coming off of the injury, but just for this team without Corey Davis playing and Adam Humphreys. It's nice to see that their number one uh, receiver just came back and you know took over the game for them. That's what they needed. Both their top two receivers were out in this game. So to get back their number one receiver overall, I think it's a good sign for Tennessee, and they might actually start playing well. Yeah, and I mean, excluding the uh, the the three punts that they had, the the three drives that resulted in punts, is, I mean, they had uh, quite a few short drives in there. They had a twelve yard drive, um, they had a seventy five yard drive, eighteen yard drive, um, as well as a thirty yard drive and a sixteen yard drive. So that's why uh, Tannehill's stats may not have necessarily lined up with a normal outing. I mean, when you only have to drive the ball that far, you don't have to force the ball down the field. So I understand the the lack of stats in regards to Tannehill, but I do think that uh, he definitely managed the game well. Um, you know, with them getting that early interception, that costly drop by Andre Roberts that popped into the hands of Malcolm Butler, uh, I think that kind of really hurt them in the long run. And uh, I think that, you know, had they not necessarily done that, maybe, maybe you got some points you know, caught a little bit of a lead at the start of the game. I think this game ends differently. Um, I think it was kind of a, they were digging out of a hole from the very beginning. And I think that this Bills team, if they, if that happens, it's a tougher road for them, especially when they're not 100% healthy. But uh, what did you think about TJ Yeldon's play this week? I mean, here's somebody Uh, who was supposed to be the number three uh, running back on the depth chart. And here he is now uh, almost leading the yards. And yeah, uh, they're going to have to figure out something um, with Devin Singletary. I, and I know that he's hurting with the loss of Zach Moss because you kind of lose that interior rusher um, because when you can just put Zach Moss in there and run it up the middle, um, 
carry after carry, and then you can bounce it outside with Devin Singletary, which is kind of his specialty, and, and like catching passes out of the backfield. Um, when you rely on him to be your every down back, um, he's not going to perform uh, the way he should. Uh, but TJ Yeldon, he's been there for a while. Um, I got the privilege to watch him for most of his career. I mean, excluding his Jacksonville years where he kind of, he was kind of shaky up and down, but I mean, he's always been a consistent guy. Um, I mean, a lot of people forget that. I mean, he was basically a running back for the longest time. I mean, um, he's always been there. He's been the consistent. Um, he's always gives us good looks, especially whenever he's on, you know, second and third team. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, you know, but, you, you know, it's just a name that I haven't heard in a while with, you know, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss taking the majority of the carries. So it's good to see him, though. Good to see him, though, come out. And even I mean, seven carries for 52 yards is definitely no no slacker job by any means. 100%. Um, and the last thing I want to mention is uh, injury-wise, let's talk about the offensive injury for Buffalo and John Brown. So looking at the stats real quick, Stephon Diggs had 16 targets. Gabriel Davis had the next closest at nine. How big of the how big of a gap is that when you have John Brown missing in the lineup? Yeah, I mean that's what I was talking about. Like the sixteen targets to Stephon Diggs, there was about two of them that he was literally triple covered on the play. But um, whenever you your game plan for the first few weeks of the season is the same thing, where you go through your progressions, where you're looking for Stephon Diggs, then you're looking for you know John Brown, then you look for Gabe Davis. Um, it definitely hurt Gabriel Davis. Um, in his play as well, because, you know, with the John Brown and Stefan Diggs on both sides, Gabe Davis had, had, I mean, he's been having field days left and right with, uh, with this team. And so I think it really hurt them. And like I said, I think if he was there, it'd be a different story because I don't know if, you know, I mean, the number two cornerback was allowed to cover Gabe Davis. Um, and, and Andre Roberts just is not a second. He's a, a special teamer at best. Um, maybe throw him in there for some like, trick plays or whatever like they've been doing with Isaiah McKenzie with like pitches and stuff but I really don't think that Andre Roberts is a consistent number three as you can see I mean he dropped a crucial pass at the start of the game and he also uh he also muffed the uh kick the or he fumbled the kick he didn't muff it but he fumbled the kick um so they're gonna have to shore things up um in just all aspects of, of the game um, if, especially with this next week, I mean, you got to get a long, you, you get a short week in, in terms of normal uh, time. So I get ready for Monday against the Chiefs. Chiefs coming off a rough game as well. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they bounce back. Uh, this is going to be a gut check game for the Buffalo Bills. This is actually going to be a really good game, I think, on Monday. So I mean, I'm anxious to see how this uh, this Monday night game turns out. But all right, moving on. Oh, with that, uh, we'll, we're going to stick in the NFL for just a little bit um, longer. Um, some big news. Um, the Falcons, unfortunately, had to uh, shut down their facilities because they have a positive test. So this kind of uh, throws their uh, next few weeks in limbo on what's, uh, what's going on. But um, Marlon Davidson uh, is the one that they put on the, uh, the defensive tackle out of Auburn, the rookie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if this does become an issue, um, it will affect obviously um, the game this Sunday. What are, What are your thoughts on this? Like, uh, how how do you think the NFL should handle this? Um, because I mean, it's only what three days away from game. Like, I I don't know. I don't know exactly what, are, what your options here if you're the NFL. Is it just such a? I don't know how you do that. Coming into the season, we all knew that this we were going to have to work through some of this adversity dealing with positive tests and moving games and schedule changes. But sometimes these schedule changes are really affecting teams. And I think that at some point you just kind of got to postpone the game indefinitely or just end up not playing it. Because, I mean, moving games around, I, we've seen five or six games get moved from week 11 up to week six, week six to week eight. And, you know, it's tough on teams trying to figure out not only one game plan, but have to switch it last minute for a completely different opponent. So I, I don't know. The NFL is going to have to take a huge look at this. But at this point, you're going to have to – I think you're going to postpone this Atlanta game this weekend if, yeah, if and there's I, one more te- positive test. And I think that a lot of that falls on um, 
a lot of that falls on the way that the NFL handled these first few weeks. Um, I think, and a lot of people thought that, that, that the Titans should have had to forfeit their game against um, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, as well as against the Buffalo Bills, because they, they, they should not punish a team that has already, was already ready to play um, going into that, um, going into that week. They shouldn't have punished them. Um, and I kind of agree to that to a certain extent. I mean, obviously like that Steelers game was kind of like a fluke, like, Oh, it just popped up during game week. Um, but if, if they couldn't make, you know, if they didn't have a, like they should have had to have used their practice squad. If, if they were, if they were on the COVID, sorry, you don't get to play. Like, I think that there shouldn't, I don't think that you should reward people for not applying COVID uh, prevention measures. Um, especially like, like when they blatantly like did an investigation and found the Titans were not listening to that at all. And I think that right, right. that kind of hurt the, that, like that kind of hurt the bills. And I mean, it's going to hurt the Steelers as well because the Steelers were on a roll and they kind of got screwed out of that, that, you know, whole, and this, is, this is a whole accountability factor. I think that the NFL has to take into account. I mean, like you said, the Titans weren't abiding by the NFL protocols that they placed for, this specific season and I think yeah I do think at the end of the day they should have had to forfeit at least one of those two games um it's not fair to make the other team suffer I mean the bills are getting the the uh butt end of this of this deal with COVID with having to move three of their games over the next course of the next five weeks like that's just it's not cool to any teams that have to deal with that that are taking the correct measures to keep their players and the staff safe. Yeah. And I mean, it just hurts with like travel plans and everything. Like you're planning on going to somewhere. Um, it just throws everything into limbo. And I know that, I know that everybody who, every, there's a lot of fans who were confused at why they, they rescheduled the game for a Tuesday night. Um, but you know, it's, it's already over and passed with, but I'm just curious to see, they're going to have to fix the way they, they go, they, uh, handle this in the future because right now it's not looking the best for uh and it's gonna get it's gonna get worse as we roll closer into winter so i think this is really going to have to be looked at and placed under extreme scrutiny soon yeah so with the covid uh going around obviously um it not only affected the professional levels but also the collegiate levels um a big a big some big news out of um out of Florida um, with uh, I believe there was 15 confirmed positive uh, tests this past week. Um, kind of incredible to see, you know, one of the top teams in the SEC um, unfortunately have to postpone their uh, game this weekend against LSU, uh, which is kind of a, kind of been a rebound game for them in my opinion, but we had um, tests with them as well as um Alabama, not necessarily a player per, per se, but I mean the, the AD and Nick Saban testing positive. It's uh, it's going to be a tough road that if the uh, Alabama stays on course this weekend, especially going up against Auburn. I mean, without your without your coach, it's it's not going to be easy by any means. Alabama's playing Georgia. Oh, Georgia. That's what I meant. Not Auburn. Georgia. Sorry, Georgia. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, now that being said. I think this kind of actually helped Florida just a little bit. I say that because Kyle Trask wasn't supposed to play this week due to um, him being sick, not COVID-wise, but just being under the weather. So I believe that this COVID may have actually helped Florida out as compared to looking at it through a negative connotation. However, a couple other games that got postponed due to COVID was Oklahoma State and Baylor, Cincinnati at Tulsa, and Mizzou at Vanderbilt, which two of these games have top 10 uh, seeded teams, Cincinnati being uh, ranked eight and Oklahoma State being ranked seven, which this would have been a huge game for Oklahoma State and Baylor due to those implications in the Big 12 currently. Um, so with those being said, I think – I still think Bama can get, the, can get it done even without Nick Saban at the helm. I think Nick Saban has groomed not only his uh, his coordinators but his assistant coaches to basically be fill-ins for him as soon as he goes down. 
Yeah, and I think it's going to just be interesting just to watch um, it unfold. And obviously, there's there's still a lot. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of time before that really, um, before we know the official word on what everything is. But, uh, you know, kind of interesting that these tests have come out, but right as the Pac-12 are allowing um, families into their stands, um, as well as, you know, like other teams kind of um, – you know, adjusting their attendance numbers as well. Yeah, I mean, they're really, I think there some stadiums are at 22 to 25% capacity right now. Um, I remember watching the SMU game and watching their whole student section get thrown out because they weren't abiding by um, mandates. And I think mm-hmm. that you actually, you have to be extremely strict with these coming in college, especially dealing with a bunch of college kids, which are the main source of, people at these games yeah and i think uh that also has to do like i think they're definitely taking the the uh necessary steps to prevent it further um especially like kind of the the big news that came out um it, it came out this week is that the the ncaa division one uh that the uh fbs is uh not gonna require a 500 record anymore to make a bowl game because a lot of these teams with the you know, postponement, cancellation of games, et cetera. You know, some of these teams, you know, having to pick up teams they normally wouldn't face, uh, you know, tougher opponents and stuff. You know, there's some good teams that would be left out of bowls because just of how their schedule worked out. Right. Like any, any team from the lower end of the SEC. I mean, yeah, you're usually dealing with them, but. But you're playing more than just, you're just playing right. more, 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 just your, your conference. You're playing the whole SEC basically. So it's like, you got to play those three extra ranked teams that kind of just that you normally wouldn't play. And I mean, yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably going to lose if you're not, you know, you might win one here or there, but let's take Mizzou, for example, somehow beats LSU loses to everybody else so far in the sec. Yeah. And I know that one team that's really hurting from that, that game was uh, Mississippi state because it looked like as if when they beat LSU, they were going to be a top dog. And then, or was it, uh, was it Mississippi state? They beat LSU? Yeah, or is it, is it A&M? Which one? It was Mississippi State, first game of the season. Yes, and then they followed up with 0-2 because LSU is not as good as what we thought they were. And so, uh, obviously, uh, you know, that's the, like that, their resume kind of is hurting with that. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, there's a lot of football to be played yet, so we don't even need to really talk about bowl games yet. just wanted to mention the fact that the uh, – FBS committee came out and said that, so it'll be interesting to watch. I'm um, I'm really intrigued, and I'm uh, ready for a fun weekend of football. Hopefully they get the rest of the games in, but we'll just have to we'll wait and see. Yeah, there are some good matchups this weekend. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow, but I there's a there's about three games I really want to watch to see how this, this will shake up uh, top five the top five for next week. So I really hope we get to watch some college football this weekend. Yeah. Uh, um, also something that's going on the, this week and into the, maybe into this weekend, we'll have to see. Uh, we have some uh, baseball and quite the, uh, quite the start to these two series. Um, not to start that honestly, most people thought with uh, Tampa taking the, the first three, um, before dropping last night's contest and kind of uh, the Astros' last-ditch effort um, to stay alive. And then Atlanta taking two out of the three with with, uh, with the Dodgers finally figuring out that offense in the, their uh, record-setting uh, first inning with 11 runs. All right, yeah, I want to – let's start with the LCS first because I think this has been um, quite – not really a shock at this point. If you've been if you've watched Tampa Bay baseball over the course of the past month, you will understand why this comes as no no shock that they were up three zero. Um, they have good pitching. Their bullpen's great. Uh, a Rosarena is just on fire. He will definitely get the MVP if the if the Rays make it to the uh, World Series and win the World Series. Randy Rosarena will be the MVP hands down. Um, but they kind of hit a little skid last night at game four. Um, Granky on the mound looked actually 
like old Granky, seven strikeouts, let up one home run through six innings pitch. Um, but Tyler Glass now still, he's, he's pitching well, but he's not pitching to his normal level. I mean, he let up four runs on eight hits in six innings. But it's, I don't know, they just, Houston needed something. And Jose Altuve gave it to him, and George Springer also helped out in the, putting runs on the board. But I don't think this – I think this is just a blip on the radar for Tampa. I think they go in tonight and just finish the finish the series. I don't think Houston has a chance to come back. I think this is just one of those games if you had to lose, you lost early, and you just move on. Now, I, I think – and, I you know, obviously I've been wrong about this Tampa team in the past. Um, but I do think that going into this game tonight um, – I think that this, I think uh, the rookie Luis Garcia finds a way to uh, slow down this offensive of the Rays. And I think that they, they find a way to force this to a game six. Um, and I think that the Rays will win this in six. That's fair. I mean, the Rays are still going to win, but yeah, I, I think no. it'll be tonight. I, I know. I, I think that the the rookie is going to come out and he's going to be motivated, f- firing strikes. Um, and I think that ultimately the Astros offense is going to get just enough done for them to get the victory tonight. And I, I think that it'll set up a crucial game six because if this thing goes goes seven games, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough one for the Rays to uh, fight back from. Uh, but flipping it over to the NL side. What a what a crazy first inning uh from uh from the LA. the Dodgers. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about uh coming out firing. Um they definitely kind of took the momentum they had from that game two ninth inning where they their comeback was just short. Um comeback firing out eleven runs. Uh uh that is the new MLB record for the postseason. And then just basically shutting down. I mean, there's a couple there's a couple runs uh, late that they're uh, in the ninth inning that kind of made the score look a little bit closer than it was. Um, but I mean, talk about a dominant performance after kind of everybody was kind of oh man they're down two zero what, what what's going to happen? And I think this I think this Dodgers team is still poised to win this series. Um, they struggled in game one. Game two, like you said, they fell just short of that comeback. But to put up 15 runs in the first three innings of a game three, that's the most – that's an MLB record that has never been done before. And I think that this kind of flipped the switch on this Dodgers team saying, all right, we can actually do this. We can go after Atlanta. We can get to their pitching. We can get their start out of the game early. Then I think if they get into the bullpen, then I think they're kind of more poised to have – add those runs into their uh, rallies because they've shown over the past two games that they can hit the bullpen when they get in there. So I think that is crucial for the Dodgers to make this a series and fight back. Yeah. And I think I'm actually going to bring up uh, a few bonus questions um, today since we have kind of a shorter episode, but uh, um my father Carlos said um, that Clayton Kershaw is one of the best pitchers in in the or one of the greatest pitchers in in, in recent history, uh, but he can never show up in the postseason. So with that being said, if he comes out tonight and lays an egg and just gives up hit after hit after hit and gets chased in the second inning and they end up losing ultimately to lose the next game, what does that do to his legacy? I mean, he's already he already has he has the third highest ERA among pitchers to make five or more career starts in the LCS out of five. So he's not when he gets into the LCS, he's not lights out Kershaw that we see during post during regular season. I mean, I've seen yeah, I've seen him multiple times, you know, with him going up against the Cubs. So I mean, I know in the playoffs he's not as do- as dominant as what he is in the regular season. And that's just something that he's going to have to live with. And and if he can write the ship and he can lead the Dodgers at, the, at his age right now and find a way to give him a quality start tonight. And then, you know, and if he 
comes back to pitch game seven, which I'm assuming he will. Um, if they if they find a way to win this series and make it to the World Series, and he has a good showing in the World Series, I mean, I think he can save his you know a little bit of his postseason credibility. Um, if he doesn't win a World Series, I still think he will end up in the Hall of Fame because he is a dominant regular season pitcher. We've seen it for years. Um, two Cy Youngs under his belt. Uh, I just think he's too good not to have in the Hall of Fame, but you don't want him. I wouldn't want him personally on my team starting in a crucial game in the playoffs due to his lack of production over recent years, but that's also not just his fault. Yeah, and as a sports fan, I would, I really would love to see. I know that, like, in his starts against the Cubs, I know there's, there was literally like, th- I think in one of the games, there's like three airs, and that just like killed him. And you know, when he gets runners on, he's not the best with uh, runners on. I know, and so once you get, if you get to him early and often, you, you know, you'll find a way. Uh, I think that this this game is a very crucial one, though, towards his, you know, towards his postseason legacy. I think if he lays a stinker out there, I think it's obviously this game can only help him obviously everybody already has this mindset that well he can't perform in big games um but i think that if he comes out and shows that he can do it i mean there should be no reason why uh you can't take a little bit of slack off of him if he can make a world series run this year which i think that team is definitely talented enough to do but they just got to get this they got to write the ship and they gotta they gotta make this two two tonight. I think because if the the Braves get any momentum going into this next game, I think it's gonna be it, it's definitely not gonna be easy for them to uh, overcome, especially with uh, well, I don't think they've announced their pitcher yet, but we, one can assume that it'll be uh, uh, it sh- it should be uh, freed right. Yeah, uh, going into game five, yes, yes, yeah. So it should be Max. I mean, the man on the mound. I think it's gonna be tough. So, <sighs> anything else you want to mention about baseball? Um, just that honestly, like you said, tonight's a huge game for both for both I, series. For I mean, both, I was gonna yeah. say for both series. I think if Atlanta takes this game tonight, this series is over, and I think he, I think Tampa wins tonight to clinch the World Series first. So I wanted to want to mention one more thing. Um, so, uh kind of some big news um, from teams not affiliated with the playoffs, but I don't know if you saw this, but the uh, Chicago White Sox have gotten the okay to talk to Tony Larusa about the opening and at, at manager. Um, obviously he's at the age of 76. So he hasn't uh, been a manager in uh, just about nine years. Um, so. My take I'm, on this is, I don't think he'll come, he. Do, I don't think he'll come back. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you got to start with them um, in in seventy uh, nine. So it, it'd be a fitting way to uh, be the, be it. But they do have permission to talk to him. Just you know, a, a, a topic of local interest with you know Larusa um, <clears throat> spending sixteen years here uh, STL. So. But did you hear who the likely replacement is for the White Sox? Who is on the short list? AJ Hinch. So that's going to be because his suspension ends at the end of the World Series. So I think it's yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it 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 would be very very interesting to see just how that works out. But but I just think Tony Larissa has he's invested too much in his executive roles with the MLB to go back to managing mm-hmm. yeah no it's one of those things where it's like i think he knows when his time's up i think he knows he's better fit as a manager or, or not a manager but an executive um so we'll just see we'll just see how it goes i mean obviously obviously you know maybe he gets a change of heart because everybody does some people come back and you don't expect them to come back i mean nobody expected john gruden to come back and coach oak at oakland so i mean it's always possible um so we'll just have to see. Yes, we will. But I do think no matter what, even if he if he comes back and has a dud of a managing career with the White Sox, he's still a Hall of Fame manager. Oh, absolutely. No, there's no way 
that he's not going to be, um, in my opinion. I mean, he's just he's been dominant for a long time, always always competitive, um, always found a way to get it done. And then as well as, I mean, you just add um, his the, the, the role that he's had as an executive. I mean, obviously, he's been doing an okay job there as well. Um, but that being said, um, we're going to wrap things up with question time and we're going to kind of go transition back to the NFL for a little bit. Cause we have, or we're going to answer two questions today because they're kind of shorter. So, um, the first one was asked by, we had asked by multiple people. Um, we, uh, we had asked by Carlos, my dad, and as well as clay, um, he, they want to know if Le'Veon Bell would be a good fit for the bears and if not the Bears, where is he going to end up? Is he a good fit for the Bears? Not necessarily. Um, I think you stick with Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. I think they are – it was working. It is working for them right now. They don't have a lot of offense as it is, but I think that chemistry is already there. You don't want to st- You don't want to bring someone in to kind of throw, especially someone like Le'Veon Bell, who has had a lot of issues on and off the field with the teams he's been with. Well, I think the reason why they mentioned that is because the, while they do have those two, they they picked up Lamar Miller, and a lot of the people don't think Lamar Miller is the fit to be Tariq Cohn's replacement. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see because I, I do think that Le'Veon Bell is literally what they need, and he blocks better than David Montgomery, and he catches passes better than David Montgomery, and Nick Foles, as you know, likes to throw to back, to backs out of the backfield. And so I think that with him being there, I think he's a better option. If he can get him, he's a way better option than Lamar Miller. No offense to Lamar Miller, but he just hasn't necessarily proved himself since he got hurt in Houston. Um, he really hasn't shown that he's the – Lamar Miller of old. So I do think that he would be a good fit. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they take a stab at him, you know, offer him. I mean, I, I don't know if he would want to go play in Chicago. I know there's a couple of other places that he, that I feel like he would be a good fit for. I mean, you can go to other contenders like the chiefs. Um, Cause the production behind Alaire when he doesn't perform, they don't really have anybody behind him. You know, they're stacking veteran running backs in Tampa um, you have some teams that, you know, maybe not competing that I don't know if you'd really want to go to like Miami that, you know, they might not be competing. And I think that that's probably part of the reason why Le'Veon Bell, you know, wants to, he wants to compete. There's, there's rumors, there's rumors that he, that he wants to go back to Pittsburgh, but I don't think he, he will go back, go back to Pittsburgh. That, the way that ended in the way it ended. No, I know there's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like the, the production behind James Conner has been kind of shaky, but I, I just think that really this is anybody's team. I mean, anybody could use a, a thir- like this is a, this is a third down back. I have um, a dark horse. A pass catching. Too, okay. Buffalo. And yeah, no, absolutely. Buffalo could have him. I mean, uh, obviously TJ Elden stepped up, but I think with what they need, um, just adding him to the passing game in Buffalo, plus he wouldn't have to go very far. I mean, he goes right up. Goes right over the river. Right over the river, exactly, <laughs> and you know it's it's one of those things where it's like, I would love to see it happen. You know, <laughs> um, we'll see. Obviously, uh, he can go really honestly wherever he wants. I think most teams would take him. Um, I just some people he's... said some people said that the Browns would be a good fit while Nick Chubb is hurt, but I don't think he wants to go to a place where he'll get phased out eventually. I think he wants to go where he'll consistently be impacting on the field. Um, cause I think that's part of the reason why he, uh, went to the jets. Cause he knew that he was going to kind of be the guy. So I think if, you know, if he can go to a place where he's the guy or the number two guy, I think he'll, he'll be happy. And I don't think he'll be as big of a, uh, problem in the locker room. I agree with, uh, I just think to take on Le'Veon Bell is a lot to take on. But even back in Pittsburgh, he had he was outspoken. It got him into trouble. The whole ending in Pittsburgh, I don't think anybody can forget how that went. And then going to New York, he was supposed to be the lead back. His production really wasn't there. He sat out a full year. And now he's back, and he's not playing well either. I mean, is it worth all of this for Le'Veon Bell? Is he the old Le'Veon Bell? 
I mean, that's I th- really what it's dependent on. And I think he can be the old Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think it's just going to be if you're willing to put the time in. And I mean, if you've seen, uh, like, like you mentioned about the dark horse with going to Buffalo, you know what 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 uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott did with uh, Stephon Diggs, where they took the personality that he was and they kind of made him into a team player. I mean, he knows that he's he's good. He's the the guy. He's the number one guy. And he's not complaining about how many times he gets targeted because Josh Allen will throw him the ball. I mean, he's always going to get targets. Um, he's, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, he's a routine player though because he's out there blocking and like doing things that he didn't do in uh, Minnesota. And I think that it just shows that if you get the right, you know, GM and coach that they can fix any players being a locker room. I mean, Brandon Bean and uh, Sean McDermott were willing to take on Antonio Brown. They tried to, they literally had a trade lined up to get him um, a few years ago and he didn't want to come to Buffalo. And so like, I mean, they were willing to take on that personality. I mean, you, what you said, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe we do take on another personality and I mean, it's not going to hurt. I mean, having another running back, especially with Zach Moss being kind of banged up and Devin Singletary having, uh, uh, ankle issues, you know, maybe, maybe it is somewhere that he ends up, but I do still think that, you know, the bears and the chiefs are the two contenders that I would say have the best chance to get him. And I think that they could use him, uh, to his full advantage. I mean, just think about Le'Veon Bell having to catch passes from Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's not even fair. And just, just going out there and blocking, that's all he has to do. I mean, if that's all he has to do, I mean, he's going to be productive. Yeah. He doesn't have to run between the tackles every play and try to find holes in a shoddy offensive line in New York. I mean. You're not wrong. Uh, but yeah. with, with that being said, I wanted to bring up one more um, – question and this is kind of a it kind of goes off of that and I think it's a good transition because you know Le'Veon talking about Le'Veon Bell not being in New York anymore um so Bill O'Brien and Dan Quinn both got canned this season who is going to be the next one and who are some kind of maybe not necessarily the next one but you know who who are coaches who you don't think are going to make it out of this year with their jobs well the next person we fired should be pretty obvious for everybody in the NFL world um that would be Adam Gase, for those who actually don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> the man who shouldn't have a job anyway. I don't know. what. He, I mean, he didn't do anything with Miami, and he just got picked up by New York. I don't know. It's confusing, but, yeah, no, he's definitely – when he just he just let – I mean, Sam Darnold, uh, he didn't – he's not building around Sam Darnold. Um, I think Sam Darnold's – the, the interest for the Jets is just to start over. Um, I think you, you trade Sam Darnold before the trade deadline, try to get some picks for him um maybe maybe he could go to a team like Indy um who has Philip Rivers and uh Jacoby Brissett who are both going to be free agents you know maybe he maybe Sam Darnold could be an option there uh behind that offensive line and with that defense you know giving him a chance to win um you gotta get, you just gotta start getting rid of some of these guys who you know you can get stuff for I mean they already started they, they got rid of Jamal Adams um, arguably one of the better safeties in the league. And then they just let Le'Veon Bell's walk. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this guy should not have a job. Like as soon as you let him walk, he should have been fired on the spot. Well, that's kind of like the Bill O'Brien trade. I mean, that idiot, that idiotic of a move should be have reper- repercussions for it. And I mean, I don't think anybody knew those repercussions until this year, how big of a loss that DeAndre Hopkins would be. How, like, look at the, look at how the, the, just the, the, the production the, is- the production yeah well the, i mean yeah you have brandon cooks who finally had kind of a his standout game like he finally kind of got things out but if you look at it like i mean who would have thought you know arizona three and two with deandre hopkins then you have the texans who are sitting there at a nice old one and four without deandre hopkins like how would that have changed you know in these close games having a reliable receiver in deandre hopkins and not relying on brandon cooks who obviously has never really lived up to his, um, I guess his his like peak years whenever he was with like you know the Rams and and then with the Patriots and everything. So yeah, so Adam Gaze is next out. Um, two two coaches I want to take a look at real quick. Um, not necessarily will be the next one's fired, but depending on how the season starts trending will determine whether or not 
their seat gets uncomfortably hot. And that is Doug Peterson of the Philadelphia Eagles and Zach Taylor. But as a disclaimer, I think Zach Taylor has more leeway this year than Doug Peterson does. Because this kind of looks like a rebuilding Cincinnati team again. But I, they should be playing a lot better than they actually are. Yeah, I think a lot of that falls on the fact that they're, you know, they have a um, rookie quarterback. Um, they, I mean, they they were in they were in mo- most of the games. I mean, if you look at it, they lost by three points week one. They lost by five points to a really good. Well, it's looking like a really good Browns team. Um, we'll see if that can, that trend continues this weekend against the Steelers. Um, and then you know, I mean. The Ravens defense is a really good defense and it was a really bad game by Joe Burrow. Um, so obviously it's never, you know, never something like, but I mean, they're also, you know, they're also a, a field goal away from beating the, the, uh, the Eagles as well. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. And I think that they, they need to take advantage of AJ Green's uh, maybe his production right now. Um, but like his name, because he still has a name in the league. And I think if you want to rebuild, you need to go full rebuild this year and you need to try to get as much draft capital or as much young talent, um, for somebody, you know, maybe I know, I know that AJ green wants to stay. Um, he's came out multiple times to say he wants to stay with Cincinnati, wants to finish his career in Cincinnati. But I think that if you want to win, I think you're going to have to start building young pieces. I mean, you have Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow. If you can build a young offensive unit around that, you know, start building stuff on the defensive side, I think that this team could compete. I mean, obviously they're in a really tough division, but I think they could be competing for a wild card spot as soon as maybe two years. Yeah, and that's why I kind of was leaning towards um, him probably not getting – canned right away because so he would be like he'd be like your third option behind adam gase and doug peterson right now if you looked at the bigger picture of things if i looked at the bigger picture of things i think detroit's trending the wrong way and possibly matt patricia would be higher I was, up on that I, list. I, I, yeah i agree i was gonna that was the name that i was gonna mention uh we'll, we'll, we'll stick with doug peterson for the second that we'll get to matt patricia but doug peterson is obviously um you know i think he's kind of um has a bigger spotlight on him because obviously he is a Super Bowl winning coach. Um, and then kind of just lost all of that, put all of his faith in Carson Wentz and it kind of came back to bite him in the butt um, because Carson Wentz has not looked like MVP Carson Wentz since his injury. And I know a lot of that falls on the fact that his receiving core is completely diminished. Um, his leading receiver was he had two catches going into this last game. Um, before he had his breakout performance I mean it's just it's it's never easy um I mean it's never easy for a coach to have to deal with with the uh with everyone on his team being injured but I think a lot of this falls on him and his game plan because I mean I think he put too much faith in Miles Sanders I don't think Miles Sanders is a lead back um, I don't think that Carson Wentz is as good as what he thinks he is. I think they had a really talented team the year that they won the Super Bowl, and a lot of that fell on the defense because that defense was stout. And um, I think that he needs to figure out the identity of this team now. And, I mean, if they can salvage the season and win – I mean, this is a very winnable division. Obviously, we've talked about that on Sunday, and our, we talked about it on Monday. But, uh, I mean, if he can come back and win the division, I think – Talks will kind of, but he's got to get on a, a, the winning track here. He's just got to start start winning games. Um, I mean, it starts this weekend. If he can show that he can beat Baltimore, I mean, especially with them coming to Philly, I think if they can win this game, I think you know a lot of pressure will be taken off that that uh, him and he won't quite be on the hot seat, but he'll be on the verge of the hot seat this whole season. And I think his seat is starting to get warm because I think in that Cincinnati game. He should have went. He should have attempted the sixty-four yard field goal, or or went for it. Like, what? What are you yeah. gonna do? You, there's nine seconds on the clock. We're gonna give him the ball with fifty-eight yards to go. And I mean, <laughs> it's he's like not thinking. He's not coaching currently. He's just kind of there. Yeah. So I think he 
his job is in jeopardy after if he doesn't win this next week or two, I think he's done. One hundred percent. But you wanted to talk about Mr. Patricia. Oh yeah. So Matt Patricia um is one of those guys who I never really thought would have a job coming into the season with just the, the with his just overall um presence and stuff like that. But I mean coming into the season you gotta think about it if <laughs> If DeAndre Swift catches that ball, they're two and two. Um, if they don't have the second half collapse um, defensively, uh, they they'd be three and one. I mean, they're right there. I just, I mean, yeah, they're in a tough division with two two pretty decent teams this year. It looks like in Chicago and Green Bay, and I think that 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 always hurts them being in Green Bay's division having to, you know that's basically two losses every year um but i think the rest of their schedule they have a chance to you know bounce back maybe make a wild card i mean you got the vikings twice you have to beat them you got the panthers very winnable game texans we don't know who the texans are still um obviously they bounce back without bill o'brien but we don't know what team they are week in and week out this bears team is beatable i mean if you can beat if you can put points on their defense their offense is not going to outscore you. Um, obviously, you're going to have a tough game against the Colts, but you have Jaguars, Falcons back to back. You have to go two and zero here if you want a chance to save your season. And if they don't go two and zero here, I think that that's when Patricia's job. If they if they dr- lay an egg against the Jaguars, Patricia's not going to make it too much longer. We have seen this Jaguars team play extremely well. So we if it depends on what Jaguars team they face. If they face the week one, week two Jaguars teams where, you you know, the wins, then I think maybe he's not as much as fault. But if he just starts getting pummeled, then I think that's it. He's got to play well these next two games. Yeah, so I also, uh, I so we're gonna we're gonna uh, pick up one more question, because um, I, I this question came in today and I, I kind of forgot about it. But uh, Sean Waters wants to know, um, what do you think about Chase Claypool's four touchdowns, and how do you think that will impact his fantasy value down the road? I think he's a solid number two, number three. I, I don't know. He overshadowed. Uh, juju this week and i but i don't think that's going to happen often no i think i think he's just definitely a a salt like if you have him and pick him up i did i do think that you know if you need to plug in a wide receiver um or if you need a flex position i think he will be able to get you you know four or five catches for like 50 yards a week but i would not anticipate you know the the 38 points fantasy points that he put in week in week out honestly i don't the, uh, there's only one rookie right now that I think will continue to put up numbers, and that's Justin Jefferson, due to that team having no real receivers besides Thielen and Jefferson at this point. As to where in Pittsburgh you have at least two to three before Chase uh, Claypool. So I think he's a deeper league wide receiver at this point. Give it a couple weeks and see how it plays out. If he starts trending upward consistently, then he's going to move up into uh, low, uh, high tier two, low tier one potential wide receiver abilities. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you mentioned the one that will keep production up. I do think that there's a good chance that, um, you know, that uh, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy will find their way uh, eventually. But I think that also depends on their quarterback play. Um, it depends on what what Derek Carr comes out and plays, and uh, and then uh, who who the quarterback of the Broncos is going to be. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch these rookies um, and and first years um, come out. And I think that Chase Claypool is like I said, if you need an emergency like plug in right now, uh, like flex option, I think that he'll work out. I don't think he'll ever replicate this performance, but I mean, a touchdown and like seventy yards is not necessarily out of the question. Right, I mean, four touchdowns in a game, that probably won't ever happen again for him yet. But he could still get – he could still be um, potentially a new red zone threat for Big Ben. So Definitely maybe, something to watch out for. Right, because he could potentially have, you know, 
four catches, 62 yards, and two touchdowns because they use him as a red zone threat. And the yards may not the, – the yards, obviously, like even in this four-touchdown performance, you know, he didn't have like a 78 or like a like a, like a a long, like super, super long touchdown. It was, you know, like it was shorter, like 20 – like he might only have like 40 yards and two touchdowns, but – I thought he had a 70-yarder. Did he? He might have. I, I don't know. he did. Let's... I don't know. He might have, and I might just be lying about it. But anyway, but moral of the story is I, I think he beat a guy, but I think they're going to look to him more in the red zone. Obviously, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate week in, week out him uh, burning. Let's see. No, he had a 35, 35. A, a 35, a 32, a two-yard yeah, run, and then the a five-yard. He had an 84-yarder. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely is somebody to look into. I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't think he will keep it up, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, see uh, his his progression. You know, obviously, um, with him being a rookie, we'll see how he does. I know that a lot of people didn't really expect a whole lot out of him this year with him coming in the second round, but he's, he's shown up. I mean – on on the uh, depth chart, I mean, you look at it. If Deontay Johnson has had um, some injury concerns, um, so I mean, as long as he's out or as long as he's not performing to his standards, I would definitely look for him to be wide receiver two in Pittsburgh. Yeah, because I mean, Juju's just getting triple teamed every game. I mean, he's had the most in a game so far is eight targets, and that was against Denver in Week Two. So, I mean, he, these uh, two second, third, and fourth receivers have a chance to step up. But I still think Juju f- figures out how to get past this double and triple coverage. Yeah, and that's just like we were, we were talking about our, our fantasy talk on Sunday, like, like with, like, say, a Zach Ertz or, you know, like uh, another uh, number one receiver. Um, I forgot who the other one we were talking about was. But anyway um, – you know, obviously their their fantasy numbers are going to be down because they're the option. Um, they are the man, you know, they're the number one guy. And so they're going to get all the coverage. And so it's their job to show up as a number one and get open. You have to get open for, you know, like the Allen Robinsons, the Keenan Allens. Like those guys are number ones. The other teams know they're their number ones, but they still have, you know, five, six catches a game, 10 targets whatever a couple touchdowns so it's it's all on the number one to show up and be a number one and i think that juju has the talent to do that and especially with you know claypool now i mean he at least has to be on somebody's radar so if you have him johnson and um and then uh juju i think i think they'll be set for weeks to come i agree but all right i think that wraps this up yep uh that's pretty much all we have to talk about today um We'll have our college football preview coming out tomorrow, um, as well as talking about the baseball games tonight. Um, So it'll be interesting to uh, see how tonight's games go. And uh, with that being said, I think we're going to wrap it up, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.